What's going on, magnificent being? I hope that wherever you are in the world that you are doing fantastic. We have a tremendous episode of the podcast for you today. We have Jonathan Gustin on, and he is the founder of the Purpose Guides Institute. We cover a tremendous amount of ground today. We talk about how to wake up your human potential, Jonathan's quest for enlightenment, becoming an emotionally whole adult, two dimensions of spirituality, discovering our soul level purpose, the cosmology of soul, exploring soul and spirit, self-actualization versus self-transcendence, the fears around discovering your soul's purpose. Um, the upper, middle, and lower worlds, soul encounter technologies, and so much more. This is a packed episode. I know that you're going to enjoy it. If you like it, please take a screenshot, tag me at Matt Belair, share it on Instagram, let me know where you're listening, share the episode on Facebook, that helps, Um, and you can also leave a review on iTunes, that really helps with the algorithms as well, but the best thing that you can do is one kind act for someone else today, hold the door open, uh, pay it forward, pick up a piece of trash, give somebody a compliment just do something nice for someone else today i want to thank all of my patrons i have recently hit 100 patrons thank you guys so so very much for the support it really helps it goes a long way you have literally saved my butt uh, more than i can tell you so thank you thank you thank you it is appreciated from the bottom of my heart i want to thank venom 369 and carissa who tossed a buck in the bucket it doesn't have to be much but a little bit from a lot of people goes a long way so thank you thank you thank you it really helps Um, for those of you guys who are interested in some coaching and you want to dive deeper if you are looking for some help figuring out your soul's purpose, your life calling, and you want to learn how to design and create your life from a place of passion and inspiration, but you don't know where to start, I have designed a 12-week course just for that, and it takes you from basically you have no idea what the heck you want to do or you've never even thought about it to a place where you have a clear design and you're making strides on achieving that and actually bringing that into reality. So you're going to learn everything that I have learned from consciousness, uh, spirituality, studies, meditation, and mindfulness, peak performance, and everything in between to make it simple and easy. You just have to go through the steps. It's just stuff that's not common knowledge and it's not really taught in schools. Um, And I've seen some people have tremendous results. So um, if you're interested in that, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And if you are already an entrepreneur and you're successful and you want some coaching around peak performance, mindset, consciousness, and how to get that extra 1%, but do it in a balanced and harmonious way. I can also help help with that with training with athletes and, and peak performers for a very long time. So just make an inquiry, Matt at zenathlete.com, as well as if you want some help with your employees, teams, or organizations, all the same, just hit me up. Uh, I want to thank my podcast sponsor, the Himalaya Podcast app. They're epic, they're free, they're super easy to use. They're tons of fun because you can communicate with other podcast listeners and lovers. It's a great way to discover new podcasts. You can make curated playlists with multiple shows so you can have a nice queue ready to go from all the different shows you love listening to. So go check them out on the App Store there, H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and make sure that you follow the Mastermind Body and Spirit show when you are over there. 
If you guys would like a free guide to lucid dreaming, an ebook, and a guided meditation that will help you learn how to lucid dream quickly and easily, you can find that at mattbelair.com forward slash lucid dreaming, and uh, you can pick that up over there. So I think that wraps it up. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know you're going to love today's episode. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, personal empowerment, and ready to take on this incredible episode with Jonathan Gustin. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the founder of Purpose Guides Institute. He guides people to find and embody their life's purpose, as well as trains those who want to become purpose guides themselves. He has been a psychotherapist, meditation teacher, and integral mentor for over 20 years. He is also the founder of Green Sangha and Integral Awakening Center. He has taught purpose discovery with Buddhist activist activist Joanna Macy, depth psychologist Bill Plotkin, and human potential pioneer George Leonard. Currently, he is adjunct faculty at JFK University in the Consciousness and Transformation Program and teaches purpose discovery at San Quentin Prison. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Gustin. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that nice introduction. Yeah, great to have you on the show. What, did I pronounce your name right? I was kind of stressing out because it was coming out. I was like, oh, I couldn't remember if I had it. Gustin. Yep. Okay, you got perfect. it. A plus. Good. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I was reached out by, I think, some of your staff, and I got to look at the Purpose Guides Institute. You've been doing this for a long time. It's extremely important work. I wish that work like this were as common as like uh, yoga or fitness studios or um, Burger Kings. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of people working on this, talking about this, creating curriculum. Um, and so, I'd love for you to speak a little bit about your background and how you got into what you're doing today. And as a bonus intro question, which I rarely do, um, what is the deal with the consciousness and transformation program in a university? That's some exciting stuff. I don't know if I was aware uh, that that was kind of creeping into the university systems. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, so there are these schools now. They're accredited schools. Uh, JFK University is one. A friend of mine started another school called Meridian University. And um, basically, they're bringing the soul and spirituality of human beings with academics and scholarship. And it's actually possible to marry the two. Um, so it's not yet fully mainstream, um, but it's getting to be so more and more. And they're amazing. Every summer I teach a master's level um, class on purpose discovery uh, to a cohort of people who are going through this um, uh, human and consciousness um, uh, program. Uh, so it's, it's really cool. You can do academics and deep spiritual work in the same place under an academic umbrella. That's amazing. Yeah, that makes yeah. me super excited. I didn't know that the course sounds awesome. Yeah. And you can do these things online now, which is amazing. When I started, you know, it was, it was live and now I'm doing these with zoom and there's a guy and you know, all, all over the place, which is really, really sweet. Uh, zoom is an amazing thing or video conferencing in general. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so how did you get into this? You've been into this for a long time. Do you just want to give the listeners a little intro about who you are, your background, you were uh, you know, a psychotherapist. Yep. 
Um, also, you've been doing you know, marriage counseling. So you really know the human psychology, the human psyche. You've worked with a lot of people. So why don't you just fill us in a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, make a very long story short. Um, when I was 12 years old, uh, I had this, I, I heard about this word enlightenment. Didn't know what it meant. Um, but I knew whatever it was, I was interested in it. And uh, it quickly came to me that it wasn't just about sort of waking up. It was also about showing up and being of service to the world. So uh, flash forward decades and decades later, my little sort of short way of saying it is that to uh, embody human wholeness is to wake up, grow up, and show up. To wake up to classical enlightenment, sometimes called unbounded or undivided awareness. It's the enlightenment sometimes associated with the Buddha and other sages from many different traditions. And so along the way, I became a meditation teacher to uh, acquire the skill set to help people with that dimension. So you could imagine this is sort of the upper world dimension of spirituality. Um, in the middle, you could say is everyday personality and ego. And there, I, th I think there's sort of a, a triple purpose right there is to be an equanimous person in the face of difficulties, whether it's a small difficulty like, you know, being in traffic or your computer's not working or a bigger one like health concerns. Um, to be able to give and receive love uh, without any unnecessary impediment is itself a very difficult thing. We want to be loved so deeply and we want to love so deeply. And yet do we do it full bore, full blast, you know, with a billion gigawatts that we're capable of. And, you know, normally there's places where we hold back. Um, and then the third part of that middle world, everyday personality and ego purpose is joy. There is the possibility of an abundance of joy. I don't mean unending joy or joyful every second. I, I don't sell that kind of thing. Um, but I do realize I am in my way, you know, almost constantly in just being joyful, right? I'm not in a war zone. I'm not starving. Uh, I'm not presently in pain or dying of cancer. And many of the listeners would fall into that category. Yet, I'm kind of stressed out because I have a big launch happening next week. And then there's this. And then my kittens are banging on the door and whatever it is. Um, so, so that's the hallmark of what I would call a mature human being. And I call it an emotional adult. I'm not quite there yet. I'm on my way one day. Um, but I'm, I've come a certain distance in that ability to give and receive love, to be, uh, to, to be able to hold a charge of joy, an abundance of joy, um, and not give away my peace, my equanimity too cheaply. So to recap, there's that middle world dimension of purpose, which is to be an emotional adult, right? To take that which is unconscious and make it conscious, to bring that which is in the shadow and bring it into the light. And you can more or less become um, an integrated, full functioning human being at the level of ego and body, which is great. But there are also these two dimensions of spirituality. The first, as I mentioned, is that transcendent dimension, classical enlightenment, non-duality, experiencing the oneness or unitive intimacy with everything. But there's a second less talked about piece, and that's the one that I imagine you, you 
uh, were interested in talking to me about. There's a lot more mindfulness out there than there's ever been, which is terrific. It's like, you know, when I started, it, it had the boom hadn't happened yet. The yoga boom hadn't even happened yet. Um, and then psychotherapy is becoming less and less stigmatized and more something that people will understand can be really helpful to, you know, work on the personality warts of the ego. But this last dimension is the descent, the burrowing down into our depths where we discover our soul's calling, our soul level purpose. And it is a spiritual awakening equal to the upper world one, the classical enlightenment one, but it answers a different question. The question in the upper world or classical enlightenment is, who am I? What am I at the level of essence? And when I sit, I'm a Zen meditator. When I sit Zen, that's essentially the question. But in purpose work, the question is, what do I do? What is my place? What is my calling? What is my destiny? Now, Zen doesn't specialize in that. So you could actually think that we have specialists, like there's general practitioners in the world uh, in medicine, and then there's specialists. I'm the general practitioner in this work, right? So uh, credential-wise, I have a you know, licensed psychotherapist, meditation teacher, and purpose guide. Um, and, but these three worlds, each of them has their own specialty, has their own question, right? So how can I be just happy is the middle world question, and psychotherapy attempts to help people uh, metabolize more. The upper world question, you know, Zen takes really good care of. Um, but this lower world question, I call it purpose guiding or soul guiding. And really what, what it is, is that in human beings to varying degrees, some people want the pure highest grade octane, you know, as much meaning rocket fuel as they can have. And I'm one of those junkies. And then there are other people who can get by with less. They just, they don't, it's, they're not, it's not cult. And that's, that's totally fine. But the people who are my people, the one who, you know, they feel something when I talk are the people who are like, I want more meaning, more depth, more purpose, and more impact in my life. There's a quote from um, Frederick Beekner, a theologian, and he says, find that place where your deepest gladness, like your deepest joy, and the world's hunger meets. I love that. That's like, that's, I, I would have you know, given my right arm to have written that line. Like, that's what I mean by purpose, is what lights you up? What do you love? But what, is, what are you designed for to help the world? Like, I love skiing. I used to race. I love jazz drums. I used to be a jazz drummer. But, you know, frankly, if you ever heard me play jazz drums or watched me ski, you'd go, you'd go that guy's not going to be in the Olympics, and he, he's not going to be playing at the Blue Note. Um, so I love it. I do lots of things I love, but they're for me. They bring me joy. And that's fantastic. It fills up the fun bucket, I call it. But then there's a special set of things that I love that, are, that overlap with that which the world needs. Right? So my sister became a palliative care doctor. Beautiful. The world needs that. But she also loves that work. I don't think I'd love that work. The whole blood and guts and not so much me, right? And she wouldn't want to do my work either. So, you know, what's that calling? Another poetry fragment just came to me. Mary Oliver, ah, what do you want to do with your one wild, precious life? And most of us, or many of us, have a hard time answering that. 
really specifically with high definition. This is who I am. These are my people. This is the transformational process that I bring them through. Um, and so uh, I help people or guide people um, to and co-explore the whole terrain of soul, the whole terrain of the underworld journey of spirituality so that they can learn, integrate, and embody their soul level purpose. This sounds amazing, man. I'm sold. <laughs> Sign him up. Yeah, that's a no. It's a, such a deep introduction, and you're hitting on uh, so many different points and bringing in so many different philosophies, but in a very grounded and practical way. It's very easy to understand uh, the way that you're sharing it. So it shows your level of mastery when you can take really deep subjects that can sometimes be very complicated and simplify them. Uh, through you know sentences and analogies or quotes that kind of bring it home. So my follow up question has to be, how the heck do we do it? You know, if the people are listening, they're like, okay, yeah, I want to know my soul calling. I know my life purpose. It's actually one of the common questions that I get is like, how do I find my life purpose? And one thing that I've thought of, and I'm curious your perspective is more of a direction. I find like, um, you know, you might not know what the end result is. It's not like, uh, you know, I'm going to be a doctor at this hospital and get a tent or whatever the case is. It could be. Um, but it's usually more, I find a, a very compelling, inspiring direction. Right. And then the world kind of drops things in and it, and it, it creates that direction. So I'm going to stop yammering. I'm like, you answer the question. Yeah, yeah, no, great question. Well, I like I liked uh, what you just said there because it's there there can be one of these maha giant awakenings where you more or less have the the sort of the full picture. Um and that's wonderful when it happens, but what often happens is if we're willing to listen to our depths that I call soul, um the next step will be revealed. And then the question is will you flow with that or will you resist it? Um, and so I can talk about the, you know, the voices of resistance in a moment. Um, but yeah, you hit on the gold star question, right? So uh, how do I find my soul level purpose? Um, so there's a, I would say there's two general baskets. Um, if you go to like a self-help, you know, section in a bookstore, um, most of the books will have what I would call a cosmology of ego or, or personhood or just selfhood. And that is to say that you're not stretched beyond um, uh, the confines of the you know, skin encapsulated ego, if you will. So the place one looks for the information, the answer to the question is one's own mind, one's own past. And that's not a bad thing to do. It's not what I do, but it's, it's, it's a good start. It can be a good warm up. So before I say how to do it, I will, I'll say that behind my uh, how and all my methods of soul encounter techniques is a cosmology. And I want to be like, just open and honest about it. It's a cosmology of soul. It's my understanding and my experience that uh, a modern or postmodern, you know, uh, human being in 2019 and the United States and beyond tends to live in like a little postage stamp swath, you know, size of territory of the totality of their being. And, and we know that. I mean, you know, Einstein famously said, and I don't know how he knew this, they said towards the end of his life, you know, how much brain do you think you use? And he goes, I would say no more than 5%. Now, of course, he can't really know that, but let's say that we're even remotely true. What's the other 95% doing, right? So uh, 
my work is predicated on the understanding the experience that we are we are ego and soul but we are mostly something else they say in the universe there's matter and then there's dark matter and dark matter and this is beyond my pay grade in physics is like over 90 percent of the universe whoa okay and so there's a saying in Sufism that for a thing, this is, now this is far out and mystical, that for a thing to be here, it has to be mostly somewhere else. So let me give an analogy. If you have a space probe and it's, fly, it's you know, flying past Saturn, um, it's whatever, the size of a van, let's say. But, but without NASA space control, ground control, it's just a piece of metal, fancy, expensive piece of metal floating through space. Most of the probe is actually back on Earth at NASA, rooms filled with men and women uh, on computers doing stuff. So it's like the little tip of the iceberg, or you could just make it you know, in the ocean, right? You a probe goes into the ocean, but uh, the main submarine or the main ship has all this stuff. So I would offer this understanding that this Earth suit, this rent-a-body, that we're loaned to for a very short time is the smallest part of us. It's very important. I mean, no disrespect to it. I'm, not, I'm in no hurry to drop it off. I, I love being alive. I'm not like the transcend and get out of here kind of guy. Um, but the more I come to really understand the depths of a human being, myself and the people I work with, I see them as probes. I see them as extensions of something much bigger, much more vast. And one word you could use for that is soul, and then another is spirit. But just to open up soul a little, and then your question about how to connect with it and learn your purpose. So the first thing I want to say is that I can't really define soul. That's not going to stop me from trying, um, but it's, it's like the word love. There's a few words, or God. There's a few words for which you, you almost don't really want to fill in the space. Um, but because I use it, I feel some obligation to at least, you know, attend to what I think it is. Um, so let me first say that the soul is an organ of perception. It's a way of seeing. It's a way of feeling. It's a way of knowing something. I look into your eyes. I mean, granted, this is, you know, uh, Zoom. And I see something, right? I mean, I see, I see you've got a beard and a hat and, and all that. But if I look really closely, there's a light. There's a, an aliveness in your eyes. And as I spend more time, I can just fall into it and I begin to get a sense, a taste of, of your, your depths. Past the personality even, right? And the personality is wonderful. You, you seem extroverted and intelligent and fun and all sorts of things. So there's the personality package, right? And you either like or don't like the personality package of the person we're with. But then there's something even deeper than that, and that's soul. And it's soul that one goes to to find out one's destiny and calling, that, that the depths. And we sometimes hear um, the still, small voice within. And if the spirituality doesn't work for people who are listening, that's fine. Just call it your, um, your psyche or total psyche following uh, Carl Jung or um, your intuition or your gut. You know, I think all of these are part of the same thing. Another part of what I mean by soul um, is that it is the 
um, organ of imagination. Imagining is a way of perceiving the world. And it's the one that's atrophied to quite a large degree in postmodern and modern people, you know, uh, uh, and it's a capacity that we can reanimate. And I don't mean pure just fantasy. Like I can imagine or fantasize winning the lottery and then doing some really good work and buying some cool things. But that's my ego thinking about, you know, how I would spend a billion dollars, which is a fine fantasy. But I'm talking about imagination that comes like a dream, like, like it comes from some depth and reveals itself. It's like a, a, a theophany, like a, 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 an opening up to uh, an unseen or untapped depth. So when I did this once, um, I was in a meditation retreat, uh, a solo one in a little cabin in northern Ontario. And it was actually more about the Zen and the upper world, but I had a flash and it was an image. And it wasn't something, I didn't think my way through this. And I, I saw the image of, it said, whole person midwifery, like a midwife, whole person midwifery. And I was like a 20, 21 year old guy. And I knew instantly what it meant and what it didn't mean. I had no interest in catching babies, as amazing as that would you know, be. That wasn't, it was, it was poetic, right? And what it meant and continues to mean is that my calling, my job, my service work is to help midwife the wholeness of a human being and human beings. Um, and which is why I ended up, you know, becoming a meditation teacher, a purpose guide and a, and a psychotherapist. So it is possible through soul encounter techniques and, and technologies to have a, you could call it a vision or uh, an imaginal rendering, a blossoming of some identity that has the perfume of soul on it. It doesn't say in my business card, whole person midwife. No one would know what that means. It's completely idiosyncratic to me. Now that isn't to say other people aren't sort of you know, midwives to wholeness, but in terms of being given that name, a friend of mine uh, in this sort of mythopoetic imaginal way, his name is Cocoon Weaver. He feels this calling to weave cocoons of transformation for his people. And he's a depth psychologist and a vision quest guide. Like those are the vocational sort of expressions of it. Um, another part of understanding soul uh, is that it's, 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 it's the word that indicates your place. Like in, in wild nature, everything has its niche or niche. I never know how to say it. Um, and everything belongs in a particular place within a habitat. And humans seem to be the one you know, uh, species that can sort of like live in a high rise anywhere sometimes and not really sort of ground. You know? um, so it's not only the uh, uh, habitat, literally the earth space that you occupy, but also the place in the human and more than human realms that you are meant to do your offering. Like a bee offers pollination, right? And a frog offers its medicine and, a, and trees, you know, they're the lungs of the world. Like everything has its destiny and its calling and it can't be anything other than it is unless you're a human. If you're a human, you can refuse your calling. You can refuse your destiny. You can go so far as to say that humans have no destiny and have no calling. You are free to do that. Um, but 
in nature, you never see a rose saying, I'd rather be a sunflower. I mean, I get they have no cerebral cortex, but let's just pretend they did. I don't know. Would they do that? I hope not. Um, I love my cats, but I don't want to be a cat. And I don't know if they'd want to be me <laughs> either. So there's this question of place. What is my uh, place that is indigenous to me? When I do my purpose work, I feel, generally feel, so alive and well-suited. I feel seeded in life, like I was meant to do this. Whereas if I did my sister's job of being a, a hospice doctor, I think something would feel off. It would be a good vocation, it's got good money and prestige, and you'd really be helping people. But it's not actually congruent with me. It's not indigenous to this Jonathan character. So that's the whole thing is to actually let yourself fall back into soul and allow a image or a fragment of poetry or an energetic knowing, um, a theophany, a vision uh, of what your calling is. And then of course, to really refine your understanding of it and then get it out there into the world. Wow, man, that was very beautifully put. There's so much to kind of dive into with that. So the thing that when you're talking about what it made me think about today, I was working with somebody, I was talking about a vocation and um, it could also be like right livelihood and just defining what a vocation is. It's like, it's almost like a soul calling. It's like, it's not just a job. It's like, this is who you are. Um, and who, who said that quote, the first one It's a very excellent quote. I wanted to write that down. Uh, Frederick Buechner, find your place where the, uh, your deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets. Yeah, that's such a fantastic quote because really that's how you get into the vocation. You're inspired to do it like you were sharing about your sister. It's, it's different and it's great and you can value it, but it might not be yours. You're going to know what your impulse is. And you also shared something that was important as well was like the step-by-step -step is you're going to get this little impulse from your soul or your gut or your spirit and do you act on it? And what I've kind of found is that when I ask people like, you know, what would you do with your one extraordinary life? Like, what would you do if you had a million dollars a day for the rest of your life? Um, they don't know. They're not asking any of that question. They've kind of shut it down a hundred percent. It's become a hundred percent survival. Um, and, and none of the like inspiration because it's not practical or they can't see a way of doing it. So they kind of snuff it out, but really it's actually required to listen to that voice. The more you listen to your soul, your spirit, your gut, however you want to phrase it, life is going to unfold naturally, but that's how you're going to line yourself up with the experiences, with the people, with the knowledge to then uncover it. And I, I think it, if you are following your soul's mission, it's going to change over time. It's going to attack like your life, I'm sure has gone from one step to the next to the next and things have unfolded with new experiences. So the question that I wanted to ask, and I know you have a good answer for it is people are listening to this and they're like, you know, man, I got kids, I got bills to pay. I ain't got time for this. I want to have my life's purpose going on, but you know, I got, I got to get the electrical bill and my daughters always want a new bicycle or something. How do I figure that out and then move towards my, my purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got a bunch of things to say to that. First thing, <laughs> someone says that. Warm it up. <laughs> there we go. Um, the first thing I want to say, if someone says that, if I'm in a kind mood, I would say, yeah, and I get you. Um, you have so much on your plate 
that to add the inquiry, what is my soul's purpose feels, you know, overwhelming and undoable. If I was in a less kind mood, I would say with fierce love, wake the hell up. Your life is going through your hands like slish. You're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. What is it that you're waiting for? I mean, if you literally are not surviving, you can't just have basic food and basic shelter. Okay, got it. Uh, but to everybody else, you aren't here just to survive and then have a few, you know, wonderful toys. If that's all you desire, then I'll shut up. But if you do, in fact, recognize a craving, a ache in your being to live from your wholeness, your fullness, and make an impact, what are you delaying for? Not, not okay. So I part, part, partly just want to smack the person and say, wake up. You know, it's really, it's a precious, precious life. A friend of mine just had a stroke uh, two weeks ago. Boom, his career is over. Um, I, I'm like, oh my God, you know? So um, we need to take care of the basics first. But, uh, you know, if you use Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we need a measure of safety and security, right? So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do this teaching work on the Titanic. I wouldn't do it in, in, in a Syrian war zone. Um, you need a certain level of safety and security. But I do do this work in San Quentin prison because it's not a war zone. It's, it's a dangerous place to a degree, um, but that's taken care of. And then the next level up is um, belonging and esteem needs. You need to have a few friends in life. You need to have a few people who've got your back. Um, but let's say that you have that. You've got some friends, you know, not like tons, but you've got, you've got some peeps. We also want to be esteemed. We, we, we need to esteem ourselves, that we're a decent enough person and receive some esteem from others. The thing is with those four things, you, you, can, take, you can take those to extremes. There's never, you can build a bunker in your backyard, right? Have, pile up moats of money so you feel like you're, you know, you always have enough to take care of you. And, but it's, you know, I hear there are some billionaires who are building um, uh, a floating uh, town uh, in the ocean so that when everything goes to shit, they can escape there. Um, but of course, you know, that's not going to work forever <laughs> either. Um, if, the, if, everything, if there's been some sort of Holocaust or meltdown, uh, that, that won't be sustainable either. But what Maslow, this great um, psychologist said, is that once you have adequate, not perfect, when you have adequately enough food and safety, esteem and belonging, and I would say 90% of the people who are listening to this, that's the case. Although we crave much more. <laughs> then he calls it self-actualization and self-transcendence. And so that's a legitimate human want. That's on the hierarchy of needs. It's actually something a human being needs to be a full human. And it's one of the things that separates us from other, other uh, species is that Without self-reflective consciousness, my kittens are being themselves. They cannot choose to be anything else. But I could fake it. Uh, I could try to present a kind of um, facade or personality to you in the attempt to get more of my esteem needs met, right? So, you know, 
I see you've got a ball cap and I think, well, maybe he'll think I'm cool if I put a ball cap on then I'll do that or, you know, whatever. We all manipulate each other because we want to look good. I, I hope that you like me, think I'm intelligent and a good guy, but that's not the most important thing, right? Like, like I should get out of your space <laughs> and be myself and let the chips fall where they may. So this last piece on the pyramid is self-actualization and transcendence. And if we follow that, who am I and what am I to do? What is my place? And we can drop into soul. So um, there's two big baskets in soul work. So now I'm, that's the preamble. Now, now soul work, two big baskets. One is resistance and one is um, uh, the actual soul encounter. So imagine an arrow, evolution's arrow, your arrow. And the arrow maker needs to design a really nice um, uh, arrow tip. Uh, it's got to go through the air really well and be sharp enough to pierce the animal that it's going for, the target. So that's the, that's the soul encounter technology. But the back of the arrow is also important, the feathers. They need to be trimmed uh, just right or they'll affect the flight of evolution's arrow. And what can happen is if they weren't trimmed properly, they'll create evolutionary drag on you and you'll never get to the destiny, which is your soul's purpose. And so what are some of these feathers, this, this drag on our desire? Well, fears, our concerns, our reservations. Um, uh, were we to find our purpose, there are parts of us that have some like, whoa, 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 I don't know about that. So this is called like a psychology of, of voices or sub-personalities, right? And what I simply mean by that is not like multiple personality disorder, but like this morning, I experienced this every day and many people have too. There's the bedhead of me, which is like, ah, oh, I got a nice mattress. It's warm. I like just lying in bed. I do. So that so one voice was like let's just lie here and then another voice was like ah oh, let's grab the day carpe diem let's get into this there's great uh, i have a good life let's step into it so these two tugged a little bit right and you know eventually i got out and that voice became animated so that's what i mean about having sub personalities or different voices right there's a part of me that wants to eat a big chocolate donut and then there's the part of me that wants to you know be in shape for these summer hikes i'm doing you know so we feel this okay so there's the part of us that wants meaning purpose and calling and there's the part of us that's scared of it and why is it scared well one it thinks um what if i don't have one what if i'm the one person that the universe didn't give one because you don't know two well what if i have one and i don't like it that by definition is impossible, but I understand that it comes up like, you know, the ego thinks, well, what if I don't like my soul's purpose? Again, I've been doing this for years. It's never happened, but uh, you know, you can, you can imagine it because you have no freedom. I didn't choose to be a whole person midwife. It chose me, but it fits me like a hand in glove. It's like waking up to your, uh, uh, your sexual orientation. I didn't choose to be straight. I didn't sit there and go, well, I could be gay, I could be bi, I could be straight. Um, I mean, I realized those were some of the choices, but what, I, what, what it was was a discovery, right? So everyone listening, you discovered your, your attraction. You saw that girl or you saw that boy and you're like, hmm, you know, I'd like to kiss that person or have sex with them and on and on and it goes. So it's a, it's a, it's a discovery level thing. 
um, in, in sexuality. So too, and you, and you don't regret it. I don't sit there going, oh, you know, I wish, uh, I wish I was bi because then I wouldn't let, you know, I wouldn't remove any people. My wife once said, um, as a man, do you feel jealous of women being able to give birth? And I said, no. And she said, no, I don't believe you. She said, you must be. It's the most miraculous thing, you know, having a baby inside and, you know, da, da, da. And, and I was like, well, I don't think you understand something. Maybe there are some men who do. That's fine. I said, I'm a man. I don't, I, it's not my will to give birth. It's, it's just not, it's not in me. I don't, I, I, I appreciate and am in awe of a woman's body and what it can do, but it's not my destiny. And so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't dream of doing that, which isn't really me. Okay, so more reservations and concerns. The ego kicks this one up. Um, will I be able to make a living at it? Will I be good at it? Will I fail at it? Ah, of course, of course these things come up. You know, what's the cost of living one's purpose? Um, if the cost were, you know, being martyred like Jesus or... Um, having to abandon my family like um, the Buddha did, um, that cost would be too high for me. Now for those, you know, wild men, <laughs> the cost wasn't too high. But for 99.9999% of us, we're like, yeah, if I knew ahead of time that I was gonna be nailed to a cross and, and killed, or I was gonna have to hop the wall like the Buddha did and leave his wife, leave his kids, never come back, um, no. <laughs> the, the answer is no. I have a soul level obligation to my son and uh, no death wish of any kind. So one needs to actually kind of create a win-win situation with the ego where you let the ego know there's a limit to how much I'll sacrifice. If my ch child starts going wiggy and he's, you know, getting out of control or whatever, I'm going to slow down, you know, this school that I've created, Purpose Guides Institute, and attend more to him. It's another purpose of mine. So I could go on and on. There's a lot of fears and reservations. And that's the first thing I do is I work with those because they're the impediments. They're the roadblocks. Sometimes people say, well, if everyone has a purpose, why isn't, why isn't just naturally discovered the way we discover our sexual uh, interests? Like that, you, you don't need much help with that. Somewhere around, I don't know, grade six or something. You're like, uh, that girl really, your guy is really attractive to me. Um, well, one, we don't live in a soul-centric culture. We don't live in a culture that even recognizes such a thing exists. In all likelihood, even if you had a really good family, um, that really good didn't necessarily include a father and mother who knew and embodied their soul-level purpose. They may have had and may be having a good life, but not that whole life, not that deep life that I'm speaking to. So we don't have models for it. And when you watch, you know, a lot of famous people, they have a lot of success in a particular field, um, but in their day-to-day -day lives, they aren't necessarily feeling that soul satisfaction. So the lack of modeling is a problem. We live in a kind of a pathological adolescent society. We see it in, in movie stars, we see it in politicians who, you know, they may be bright and charismatic and have, you know, all sorts of, um, uh, powers or talents, but uh, at a soul level, not so well developed. So uh, 
but it's a long tradition, you know, it's in Sufism, it's in, it's in, it's in the ancient Greeks, it's in Judaism, it's in um, um, uh, almost every tradition I've ever studied, depth psychology, archetypal psychology. And when we clear the impediments, it's not hard at all. It's there. It's already there. It's a self-remembering. It's a self-surrender. When the voices that are endlessly screaming, I need more money, I need more esteem, I need more safety, can actually relax, then the soul encounter technologies themselves just are like a, a fast gateway to soul. And so I, I spend a good deal of time working on the resistances, right? Honoring them, not trying to like, you know, run over them like a speed bump. I don't believe in that. Just grow up. No, you know, just like, let's, let's talk to that voice that's scared, you know, because there are some consequences. If you awaken fully to your soul level purpose, you may find that some of the friends and some of the occupations you do are no longer interesting. It's not that they're bad or wrong. I mean, unless, you know, you were a mafia hitman or something, but it's generally, it's not that what you were doing or who you were hanging out with um, was subpar or wrong. It's that you've, you ended up outgrowing it. You've moved on and that's okay. It's okay to let friendships go when their time is over. We don't have to hold on to um, a particular version of our personality, particular version of our pastimes and the social groups we hang with, we can let them naturally evolve. And that can be scary for people. But the, the upside is that you then end up naturally magnetizing people at your new and higher octave. I just said a lot. I think I'll just pause for a moment. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, once again, so there's so much there and so much practical information. And you said a few things I didn't expect. You know, when you talked about the fears, um, I never thought about the fear of just like the way that you're phrasing it of like, um, maybe I won't like it. Maybe I won't want to do it. It's like a calling, like a job or something. I, I think about the military is just something. It's like, yeah, you're going to go in here and then all of a sudden you're going to do this task. It's like, oh no, that's not the one I wanted. I want it to be like, this thing over here. And I think that you're correct from my perspective and working uh, with people in a similar way. You've done a lot more of it. And, and just for myself as well is like, I feel like I, I am in my vocation. I am in my calling I'm doing the podcast and writing the book and things I'm doing. And I'm trying to grow that um, more and it's unfolding naturally, but it's like a part of who I am. And I think that, you know, there, the way that you phrase it is really um, good because it is naturally you. It's going to be the thing that you are made for and built for, and you're going to connect for it in, in that way. And then you're going to know it, you know, you're not going to be questioning. It's like, this is it. And I know it and it fits and I love it and I'm excited. And uh, so you brought up a lot of those fears and resistances um, that I actually didn't expect. So I think that's really great comments. What I want to ask is you've, you've um, shared about it a little bit, and I think it's the natural progression is soul encounter technologies sounds super boss. Um, so, so, uh, well, I also wanted to ask too, like, I want you to touch on that for sure and explain in depth as you've been doing, which has been great. But like, what about someone who's kind of like, you we talk about awakening or ego and, and, and people are, 
how do we like start that process of awakening, like the actual awakening and stepping out of ego? You know, people are hearing this and they might not know their shadows or whatever. Like what's a process to kind of step out of that level and to begin, begin to become authentic. I think that's a really important piece to finding your, your purpose is to be authentic with yourself and be authentic with others. When you show up to work, you're authentically you, you know, when a lot of people show up to work, they're not authentically themselves. They're kind of like manipulating it. And then they're not even honest to themselves to begin with. So, and that has to do with like ego work and stuff like that. So maybe you can speak on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing to say is this takes courage. So I, I don't want to, for a moment, um, indicate otherwise i mean there's something called homeostasis right you know our body is what 99.6 97.6 i don't know whatever the the, the the main thing is and our body regulates um our temperature if we start you know getting a little too much cooler than that we start shivering to create warmth and if it our body elevates you know above that we sweat we don't want to run fevers well you know everyone listening uh, has achieved a certain level of stability, right? And some more stable than others, but you know, you're presumably, if you're listening to a podcast, you know, you're, you're not starving to death and you're not being shot at. I mean, if you are, go protect yourself. So there's a kind of stability we have. We've got our friends, we've got our things and it works okay. Uh, but that goes against this, like, but I want more. I want more depth. I want more meaning. I want calling. I want destiny. Um, so it takes courage to mess with homeostasis, to mess with the status quo of our lives. Like, I'm, I'm pretty happy, to be honest. Um, I, I really like my life, and I'm happy more than I'm not. But let's say today I get a call from Seoul that it's time for another upgrade another transformation. You'd think I'd be completely excited, but each octave you go up, it's the same thing again. It's like, wait a minute, I kind of got used to this, like, you know, I've got my purpose school and my meditation teaching, my psychotherapist and my wife and kid are thriving. Like, I don't want to shake that up. So I get it. It would take courage for me to go, all right, and to make that descent yet again, right? And see where, what soul is asking. So that's the first thing is courage. No transformation. You know this as a transformational teacher. No transformation is possible without courage. Um, the second thing I'd say, simple thing, is uh, uh, lie less. <laughs> I'm not saying stop lying completely because uh, it's come to my attention that we lie a lot, mostly to ourselves. Um, but start by lying a little less. Lying less to others, lying less to ourselves, or at the very least, when you are lying, recognize it as such. And also don't go into a shame spiral. There's a reason why we lie. Um, uh, we're trying to protect ourselves or enhance ourselves so we can get esteem needs met. So I notice, you know, I'll tell a story sometimes and I'll, I'll notice I just exaggerated it by 10%. There was no reason on earth for me to do that. It was just, it was, it was a fine story. In fact, they might've been like <laughs> adequately impressed with the story had I not just given it 10% more pizzazz. Now look, I'm not gonna go to hell for it. It's not the worst thing to embellish a little, but, but you know, why am I doing that? So at least I can admit it to myself. And then maybe I can have the courage to actually just speak what I know to be true. That's like one of the most powerful things and we find in every psychology and every spiritual practice is the truth 
will set you free. So stop lying, lie less, admit to yourself when you are lying. And one of the extensions of that is being authentic. As you said, that, that is the result of not lying, right? So this is me. I'm this, this is the same me, uh, more or less, that I am with everybody. And if I sort of started to create an, an I don't know, a, 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 an artifice, a da-da-da-da-da-da, there's a bit of lie there. Now, look, I think I think there is some some room for you know when I watch uh, whatever you know podcast or this or that. There's room for some theatrics and for some for some you know. There's a theater to it, and that's not necessarily a lie. But when we're with our friends and family and with ourselves, wait a minute, why? What are we doing? So that that's a supercharged practice for uh, spiritual transformation. Because what's left when you're not lying is, is, is the truth. And it feels so good. It's scary at first to be really authentic, but it feels so good because you are resting in what is indigenously you. You can't be someone else. I really admire my teachers. I admire Carl Jung. I admire James Hillman. I am not them. <laughs> Number one, they're geniuses. I, I love people with big IQs. I, I'm not a genius. What else? They were insanely creative, like over the top. You know, they were the Picassos and, and Da Vinci's of their fields. Fantastic. It's not to say that I'm not creative or that I'm not bright, but like it's not about being somebody else. So I, I don't need to pretend to be smarter or more creative or nicer. I've met, I've met people who... I'm thinking of this one friend of mine. She's like literally the nicest person I've met. Like she is, it's, it's so deep. And she's got like a steel in her too. It's not like some wishy-washy thing. And I just like, wow. But I'm, it's not that I'm not nice. I'm, I'm pretty nice, but I'm not, I'm not like the, the gold medal of it. You know, it's just like some people have that. So you be yourself. If you have a little more edge, then you, you're that. So yeah, authenticity. I, I can never get sick of talking about that. Never. So yeah, your question. Um, yeah, courage. Stop lying. Let authenticity shine. Take the hits, whatever they are. Um, not you know, if I'm authentic, my wife might not like it. I know what she wants me to say. <laughs> That's pretty clear. And my son, you know. My son was begging for the bigger ice cream cone yesterday because his friends were getting it. And I just decided not, he's been having a lot of ice cream and sugar. And, and I stayed behind it, you know, and was I right or wrong? Who knows? But it was the choice I made. And I, I thought it was the right thing. And I stood for it. Um, he was displeased. <laughs> and he let me know. Um, so, you know, be authentic and realize that you're not always going to win a, approval from people. And that's a hard one. Because a lot of our actions are, are really trying to get others to approve of us and respect us. But I think in the end, um, people will respect us more when they can see how dependably authentic we are to ourselves. That's a special thing to have in life. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with all that. And I really like the way that you kind of phrase everything in, in, a, in a different way than I would put it and really articulate. So 
with that being said, if we can start to be authentic with ourselves, if we can start to start to listen to those impulses, um, also like, you know, with being authentic, when you're in conversations and people give you feedback, you don't like being able to own that, being able to look at it, being able to look at, you know, they talk about shadow or whatever, just being open to feedback and even requesting it, even if it hurts, you're going to learn more about yourself. And, um, if you're, if you're being yourself and, and you, the people around you don't, like that, you probably should be around different people. You know, like you can find people when you're your authentic self who support that and encourage that. That's a much more fulfilling environment to be in. So if we begin to do these things and connect with ourselves, the next step would be looking at some of these soul encounter technologies. That's what I was wondering if you could um, start to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Just just before I do, just what you said, it was so beautiful. It's like um, you you know, find people who like you just the way you are, right? There's a joke I like saying, which is my friends are those people who really know me and like me anyway. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, right? You know, because I have all these personality warts, as do you, as does everybody. We've got our annoying whatever stuff and weird things. That's, that's to be expected. And what I tell my son is, you know, um, find, find, you know, I mean, he's only 10, but we've talked about it once or twice, you know, like marriage. And I'm like, you know, find someone who likes you actually the way you are, because if you don't, they're going to work at fixing you. And that's going to be really hard for them. They'll probably fail it and be frustrated. You won't enjoy it. So like find people who really like the way you are, but the only way you can do that is to present the authentic you. And then those who are not into you can say, I pass. You're two X, you're two Y, you're two Z, which is fine, which is really fine. I, I really, I really believe that. Yeah, I think too, like when you're doing that, you're spending a lot less energy and you're going to be a lot less worried and a lot less anxious because if you're like kind of going to these environments where you're shifting your personality in these different ways, you're going to be a little bit more anxious. Um, and I think you're going to be less authentic with yourself. You know, it's just too tiring, you know? Just be yourself and let let the chips fall as they are. Like you said before, it's just like, it's easier that way. You're going to find your people. um, Then you're going to know yourself better. And that matters. You know what I mean? You're going to find, you know, the people and the relationships and the experiences that matter to you. You could be pretending to like art when you actually love, I don't know, monster trucks, you know, and then you can just go love monster trucks and you're just going to get yourself nice and lined up by just being who you are. Or maybe you have friends that are cool where you go monster trucks on your own and then you go do something with them. That's possible too, but just stay congruent with who you are and have the courage to, to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting to be inauthentic. If people wonder why they feel sort of dissipated and tired, it's, not at a, at a soul level. I mean, it, it can exhibit itself uh, physically too, and just deep tiredness and sleepiness. But even if you're feeling, okay, vaguely vital in, in, in energy, you feel at some soul level, like, like dissipated, like, God, I'm exhausted. Well, it would be exhausting. I mean, if you, you, if, if, if Tom Cruise just played a role and then went home as the same guy and then just did this over and over again, it's just exhausting, exhausting. So there's a character that we build. And if it's inauthentic, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, it's, uh, Robert Bly called it the long black bag we drag behind us. We want to release that. I want you to be you. If, we're, if, we're, if, if we meet again after this podcast, um, I, I want to know the real you. I don't promise to like all of it, and I don't think you'll like all of me. 
of course. <laughs> but I, I'm interested in like real. So um, yeah, yeah. All right, so soul encounter. All right, so now we're getting into some sort of mystical depths and, and some people will sort of be like, Wah. so, you know, warning, I warned you. Um, so there's the material realm and there's, there's thought and we feel mostly sort of safe in that realm. There's a whole nother world. Um, in, in Sufism, they call it Allah, uh, uh, Alam al-Mithal, the interworld, the middle world. Um, in shamanism, they call it the lower world because it's thought of as a descent. Um, in Celtic uh, uh, religion, they call it the other world. And this is the realm of imagination with a capital I. Again, not fantasy like, oh, I'd like to have sex with that woman or I want to win the lottery. That, that's, that's fantasy generated by the mind. But there is something uh, a, at a soul level that is imagination. We want to touch into that. So here's how I um, attempt to facilitate, bring people to the threshold of that. Um, one is wild nature. So I'm in a room. I think it's pretty safe. It's a regular room. It's comfortable. There's, there's heat in this house. There's electricity. It's the you know, bathroom, the whole thing. Um, I can get very kind of comfortable in my life here. You go out into wild nature and like even go off. This is something people don't do. Even hikers like go off the path, even just 100 feet. What you find is the terrain, suddenly our ankles are very weak, most of us. Maybe as an athlete, yours aren't, but most people's ankles, we, we're used to flat. The earth is not flat. And I don't mean like the flat earthers thing. I mean, just generally <laughs> step now on the earth. Now I got the sound bite. I'm going I'm to clip that and put it out there. And you're just going to get a whole <laughs> realm of people. <laughs> That's great. It, it's not flat. It's, it's incredibly textured and nuanced and it destabilizes. We have to start, we have to walk slower. On a sidewalk, I can walk full speed. On a hiking tra trail, normally for, for almost uh, full speed. But when I'm off trail, I have to slow down. And there's a corollary, there's a, a, a mirror image of that in our psyche. Suddenly, we're out of our comfort zone. Um, we're with no more humans or human conveniences. Leave those things behind. Don't check your phone. Keep it if you want as a, you know, an emergency device. Um, and bring this question out into wild nature. What is my soul level purpose? What is my vocation? What is the vision of my life? What are my gifts, my giveaway? There's all sorts of questions I can talk about later, but the, the main one is like, what is my soul level purpose? You drop that into stillness and silence. This is why I find the meditation teacher part is helpful. The part of being a psychotherapist is helpful because I can work effectively in helping those voices quiet down, the resistance voices. The meditation teacher part helps because our minds are generally so noisy that if we ask a spiritual question like, who am I or what am I at the level of classical enlightenment or what do I do at the level of soul, our minds start going And our minds are amazing. They come up with some interesting things but it's, gen it's, it's rarely the genuine article. So one is the, is the context and setting, and that is to be out in wild nature. People who do entheogens, psychedelics, we know about this, right? T uh, context and setting. You don't just do it like in a sterile room. You find a place that is in, in, uh, inducive, that is condu conducive 
to the journey. So you're out in wild nature. You have the practices of how to quiet your mind. That's a really important one. And then there's this word, journey. You, you, you find yourself, if you're lucky, right? If this is up to the mystery. You can make yourself available like quarry, right? Like sometimes I've done, I've done this, it's worked once in a while. I'll put my hand out and some bird seed and a bird will f- come to my hand and feed right out of it. But man, do I have to be still to the point of not thinking. It's really something. So that's possible. If I can do it, you can do it. Well, now you bring that same stillness and your hand with the question is out. You're in wild nature and you ask the question, not to think about it, but you ask it, you kind of put it out there to the mystery. And then comes the most important part, which is imaginal listening. Imaginal listening. Now, this is where it gets difficult to describe. <laughs> um, I described it a little bit before. It can, the answers, the communication, the dialogue between you and soul can come through images, come through symbols. Jung talked about this. Hillman talked about this. Everyone talks about this. Um, and in some ways, an image is better than words because, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand. Like the picture of you doing your work in the world being what you are indigenously at a soul level has a kind of transmissive quality to it. When I saw that picture of a whole person midwife in my mind's eye in the imaginal realm, it, it just was like, it was intense. And, and, I, and, and it was this, the experience of recognizing myself. It's self-authenticating, which means when you see it, you know it. You're not like, well, you know, maybe I'm a whole person or maybe not. You know, I was just like, oh, okay. Um, so, so being in wild nature is one. Um, another method I use is um, uh, I do these guided meditations. You know, they're on like an MP3 recording. And it brings people up to the moment of soul encounter. No, no guided meditation is a soul encounter. I want to be clear about that. But if the guided meditation does its job, you've relinquished some of those voices of resistance, your mind has become quiet, and you're at the threshold of the, an underworld or imaginal world journey. And then I go, I keep speaking and then sort of guide people um, and asking the questions um, and receiving the answers. And so about the questions, it's very important to have um, more than one question. I, I've, you could make it 10, you can make it 100. I made it eight. I call it the purpose octagon. So I don't want to just know what my vocation is, right? Uh, vocationally, uh, I've said it many times, I'm a, a therapist and a meditation teacher and a purpose guide. But that's not my purpose. Those are ways and means by which my sole purpose expresses itself. And I may change vocations tomorrow or in 10 years or never. We'll see. But then there's the, uh, the giveaway. And when Native Americans would go out and do the vision quest ceremony, um, they would bring something back. I don't know what the, the, uh, the native word for it is, but it was translated as giveaway. The thing that you were meant to give away to the tribe to make it whole, to heal it and to bring it, you know, evolve it. So I borrowed the term giveaway to describe the unique transformational process that you 
and you alone are meant to do. It may look like others, but, it, but when you do it, it's unique, never seen before. And it's important to know the steps. It's one thing to know I'm a whole person midwife, but what's step one? What's step two? What's step three? Well, instead of me trying to invent it or think it, I ask soul and soul can answer. Here's an easy one um, that everyone can do today. You can do it. It's called active imagination or Jungian journaling because um, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist invented it. Um, I call it soul-centric journaling. So. Uh, pen and paper or keyboard, and you'll write it like a play. So my name is Jonathan, so I put J colon, I go, soul, will you speak to me? Then I write S colon, and I stop. And I wait. Let's say nothing happens. J colon, soul, did you hear me? I, I, would, I, I am requesting an audience. If, uh, if nothing happens, then you walk away. That meditation didn't work today. Uh, uh, soul isn't uh, uh, a 24 concierge. It's not going to just appear uh, on command. Um, it will sometimes be shy. And this is one of the reasons why, ultimately soul isn't shy, but it is shy when it feels, this is my understanding, soul is shy when we're not living, we're not creating a, uh, a place in a container where it feels it's going to be taken seriously and really honored. Um, so, you know, if I were Genghis Khan and I just completed a day of rape, pillage, and plunder <laughs> and, um, and then did this exercise, my guess would be nothing would happen. So it would be like, the last thing I want to do is give you, Genghis Khan, any more information, any more spiritual potency, because you're making a pretty big mess, um, even, even just at the level of ego. So, um, so, yeah, we go back and forth in this dialogue. So let's say Soul says, I'm here. And then you say, can I ask some questions about my purpose? And let's say Soul says, yes. Then you ask. And I have these eight questions. What is the vision of my purpose? Like how would my people and humanity in general potentially evolve and transform were I to successfully do what I'm meant to do? What are my soul core powers, my talents? What are my soul core values? Um, what is um, my task, my next um, mission in life? So like at that level, creating this school 17 years ago, is a task. I may feel complete with it in 10 more years and give the school away. Who knows, right? There are different tasks and I'm writing a book. That's a task, right? And when then you're done, you're, you move on to the next one. So there can be many tasks for a particular purpose in life. What is my message? If I only had 30 seconds, you know, on primetime TV to talk to everyone in the world, what would I really want to say at a soul level? And then the last is the one that everyone's really interested in is the delivery vehicle. What's the means by which I am to give my, um, uh, my, my gifts to the world? Um, so I, I use the image of like a pizza you know, delivery. The, the, the nourishment is the pizza, but the vehicle could be a bicycle. It could be a car. It could be a Humvee. You, you could you know, drive a tank. Uh, to deliver the pizza. These are delivery vehicles. It's not the same as the purpose. 
being a meditation teacher isn't my purpose. It's one of the ways in which I love the world. It's one of the ways I attempt to be a demonstration of love in the world. So yeah, the Jungian journaling, aka soul-centric um, journaling, um, is something everyone can do. One of the big difficulties with it is that it seems so easy that uh, when you complete it, the mind comes in and says, well, I don't really know if that came from soul in the imaginal realm. I think I just made all this shit up, you know? Uh, and that's possible. Uh, that is actually possible. There's a whole sheet I have um, for my students, like ways to detect when it's ego coming in and masquerading as soul, uh, and when it's more likely to be uh, an authentic transmission. Man, again, that is a, such practical, epic information. You know, I've actually, <clears throat> I'm glad you shared about the purpose, purpose octagon because those questions are fantastic. And I think that the quality of question that you ask is going to be, you know, the, the quality of answer you're going to get to be able to direct your life or whatever the information you're going to get. So really great stuff. And what it made me think about was um, I heard about a technique a long time ago. I studied like the subconscious and having it come up in all these different ways. Um, I read a book on left-hand writing. So it'd be the same thing. Ask those questions and use your, or if you're left-handed, write your other hand and just use your non-dominant hand. And even though you're thinking of it and you're writing it down, once you read it back, the answers are different than you would just write it as full, you know, your just regular hand because you're just operating in that level of consciousness. Like you're operating in, again, just like mind and ego and it can only operate so much it can only operate so much information but when we go into the subconscious levels then we're getting to different layers of information just like in the guided meditation um in the Jungian journaling uh, and then the other one that i wanted to offer to people i don't know if you've heard about this technique but it's called image streaming by win wanger i don't know if that, i did i read it years ago but i've used it and um you ask yourself a question and then just as your mind is a theater just let everything go. Just keep letting it go. Don't try to think of anything. And then after you review it. And um, these are just techniques to kind of get out of just your regular consciousness, get out of that regular ba brainwave state, your automatic responses, your automatic answers, and see if you can get anything deeper. And don't worry about if you hit the nail on the head right away, like, oh, this is it. And this is the one thing. And now I'm I'm set. It's more like starting the process, starting the engine, you know, starting to dig your foundation and you're going to find these gold nuggets as you go along and then you can piece them together. Um, but the idea is to begin to put the work in because then um, that's how you're going to start to get the results. You're going to start to refine your clarity. It might start a little bit vague, um, but I think that what's happening on a cultural scale for most people is they're putting in zero work. Kind of like I um, said at the beginning, we're just not putting any effort there. So you're definitely not going to get a result. You're going to get whatever default reality and those base needs are met because that's the only amount of work you're putting in. So I think it's important just to um, begin exploring these. And you, you said it, you had really great quotes the whole time, but um, what will you do with your one magnificent, precious life? And if we think of it like that, you know, like to honor your life, you know, to have the courage to honor your life and, and know what you're capable of. I think people just sell themselves short. We're so, you know, some people had rough upbringings and had crappy uh, maybe families or people and put downs and they, and they live into that in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s when in reality is 
we are very powerful beings. We can influence our reality to a massive degree, and we have a huge opportunity to explore life and make it magnificent and enjoyable on our own terms. And I like what you said um, earlier when you said, uh, I'm happy most of the time. You know, I think a lot of the, the new age stuff, it's, we're going a little bit too far with it now. Like, instant law of attraction, happiness all the time. I remember I was interested in enlightenment too. That had me hooked. And forever, I thought I was going to be in this ascended consciousness, quote unquote, right? And um, now, more over time, my thought is it's more about responsibility. It's more about integrity. It's more about putting in the work and, and having the courage, you know? It's like, like you said, that level up moment, you know? It's like, you know it. You, you know it because you're you and you can feel it. You're like, oh my goodness, that's terrifying right? But do you have the courage to do it? And then again, you, you open up to another level. So just really beautiful information. Do you want to comment on any of that? I've just been really enjoying this. Uh, I don't know how to phrase it. It's just so well articulated and so practical that I think that people can really understand this and make really great ground if they're willing to do some of these things, take the next step, try one of them, do any action towards it. Um, and, and then maybe try one action a day for a week and see what that consistency consistency does. And, and you're going to through this, I know refine and, and basically uncover bit by bit, a little bit more of what your sole purpose is. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I, you, uh, I resonate with everything you say. There's like a, a hundred lines I could, I could follow, follow this one at the, at the beginning. I think you were talking about, uh, you know, the sort of the patience and coming back. We were talking about Jungian journaling. So I got this image of, you know, a painter, not even a great painter necessarily. We sit, we're before the canvas. We decide we've got paints and we're going to paint. And you could just sit there like looking at it blankly and just get terrified and have nothing happen. So as the painting guide, it sounds like what we're saying is begin, just begin, put some brush strokes out there. Um, your first painting may not be perfect. So when you, if it, I get this uh, image of like, not only is, is imagination and soul an organ of perception, it's so atrophied that it's basically numb. Like imagine if I had an invisible third arm and it's there, but it's just, I've never exercised it. So it's just completely, you know, nearly disappeared. So it can take a little time. Like if, you're, if you want to run a marathon and you're out of shape, you know, try like half a mile, you know, the first day. Don't, don't try to run 10. And so with the imaginal work, like Jung was a genius. He knew what he was talking about. Trust, trust this fellow. He's really quite trustable. You know, don't do it just once or twice. Try it 10 times and you'll get more comfortable. Ego will become more and more relaxed. And, and, you know, go into imposter mode less and less, and you'll find that this works. You know, you can type this into Google, right, and, and discover how to do it. You can come to my school and, and get guidance and support, but just, just ask soul, like begin a dialogue. And don't think just because you're, you know, you're on a subway car and you say, hey, do you want to talk? And someone says, no, <laughs> that, that means forever. It doesn't mean forever. Soul, soul wants you to be persistent. Soul wants you to court it. Um, but it's not necessarily going to rain, you know, gold coins of, of soul nuggets on you um, in the first seconds. And in this society where we think, or we're sold anyway, quick money, quick enlightenment, quick everything, um, you know, where it's so, that'd be great. I, and I would sell it because I'd become very rich and I would make big impact. But the truth is, I don't know of ways that are quick. I find that 
the path of mastery, whether it's in music or skiing or meditation, is, is practice, is showing up. Um, and if someone, you know, has a quicker method, that, that's great. I, I haven't been exposed to it yet. But, but the long, slow, slogging method works. <laughs> it works. My friends who are the, the best skiers really practice. I love the word practice. The best martial artist, you're a martial artist. The best martial artists are, I, I got to teach with this guy. His name is um, George Leonard. He was one of the founders of the human potential movement. He coined the term human potential movement. He was there at Esalen and all that. He was a World War II bomber ace, top gun, and he would teach all the top guns. And at the end of his life, I got, he, he, he let me teach with him. And uh, he wrote a book called Mastery. And in, in his like 40s, mid, mid to late 40s, which is potentially a little late to start Aikido, um, he started, <laughs> you know, you can get injuries. And anyway, he reached to, I believe, the fifth degree black belt. And people are like, how? Why? How's that, you know? And then he goes, oh, because I love practice. I'm devoted to practice and the improvements take care of themselves. Um, and I was just like, damn, <laughs> that's great. So I recommend this book, Mastery by, by George Leonard. He's gone now. Um, so it's the same thing with soul. Like it's not a quick date that you get the goodies from soul and then you, you run with it. You are soul. In the end, what is revealed is that you're not courting something outside of you. You are inside of it. You are inside of it. So it's like the picture of a tesseract. For those who don't know, it's a, a hypercube. It's an eight-dimensional cube. You can just Google it and you can see a picture. So just imagine a cube within a cube. Well, our regular life, let's pretend it's a three-dimensional. It's four because it's got time. But you know, if all of our life is uh, represented by a cube, consider the possibility that surrounding that is a hypercube. Right. So if you just went, said our life was a square and then said, but there's a whole cube uh, beneath, above, behind, beside it, you can go, oh, there's so much more. So I think life is actually like a tesseract. There is way more than conventional mind and ego and science can see. And through meditation, through uh, soul awakening, it's real. I've seen it. It's there. It's, but it's not like some other world. It's right here, right now. And this is just the avatar, the representation, the extension, the modulation of your immensity. And that's why we always feel a little, uh, mm, what's the world? Uh, not confused, but uh, we're around being embodied. What's that word? Um, ambivalent. Because we're like, I, I feel like I'm my body and I want to preserve it and I don't want to die. But there's also an intuition that's like, I'm probably more than that. I might, might, I might be more than just a body. There might be more. Because, I mean, we know even from science that's, that we are in a miraculous world. I mean, it went from apparently nothing to something. First Big Bang. That's it blows my mind. I don't want to get that. How, how, how does something come from nothing? Second Big Bang, from, from, from something that's material to life. How, how does a rock or a something suddenly become a single-celled paramecium? Beyond my pay grade. All right, third Big Bang. Life becomes self-aware and self-reflective. Are we under the impression that that's it? 
after 14.72 billion years that evolution just stops, that this is it? I'm not under that, uh, that impression. So, um, yeah. Well, I guess my, my kind of final message would be um, there is so much more to you than you can possibly imagine. There's so much more of you and it's beckoning you and it's calling you to know it, to inhabit it, to embody it. Wow, Jonathan, that was, again, uh, wonderfully stated, beautifully put. When you're talking about, um, you know, the, the imagination or the in intuition being atrophied, it's so interesting because this is like the, your essence of who you are. And it's interesting how, however this has happened, whether it's culture, education, society, a mixture of that or both, that we're not taught this uh, naturally in schools where it's not encouraged, it's not uh, normal information because it's the most important thing. And what we've done is we've identified so much with that little bit of consciousness that we have that's perceiving not very much, just a little bit at a time as we move through the day. Um, and materialism in the outside world, then we're, we're giving almost 100% of our focus to that. And what you're inviting and what we're sharing is that if you turn the lens back, you, you just forgot to turn it back. It's all there. You know, your consciousness, I think it's only five to seven bits of information it can hold. Your subconscious, when we're talking about the whole or your soul, that's at your subconscious. It's stored everywhere for every single thing you've ever experienced. It's also getting information from places you can't even understand, but you're getting it and it's giving it to you in that subtle impulse and that feeling that you can feel. And you have to begin to practice it and, and use it. Just like you said, it's going to take a little bit of time. If you haven't gone to the gym in three years, I, I missed the gym for three months and I went back and I can, I can barely walk. I'm sitting here. So I've been fidgeting so much because my legs are killing me. My butt is sore. And it's the hardest one to go back to if you haven't done the same thing. And I've been active. So you got to learn it. Flip the, flip the lens around and start looking into the depths of who you are. And the thing is, there's so much information there, but it's in silence and darkness, and it's going to pop up through feelings, through images, through um, different ways, but you have to start looking, you have to start exploring, and then just be okay with that filtering process. It's like you're digging a hole, and just enjoy the process of digging. You know, every now and then you'll hit something and you'll get a piece of information and that's going to help you uncover more about who you are because, yeah, I don't even know how you put it at the end, but you put it just incredibly, so so well put. So you want to um, comment on that and um, just thank you so much for coming on the show and everything you shared. Is there anything else that you wish that I had asked you or you wanted to cover um, before we close it out? Because, man, this has been a treat. Oh, I've really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, it's really fun talking with you. I, uh, it's been great. I, just, just your metaphor, it's like dig, right? If you're, if you're standing by the river of meaning, destiny, calling, and purpose, you're standing by the river of, of purpose, um, and, you wanna, and, and there's, there's gold nuggets of purpose under the ground, start digging. If you're happy with the amount of meaning and purpose you have, that is totally okay. I'm not suggesting to anybody that you need more. I'm asking, do you feel called to more? If you feel called, then do the Jungian journaling, do the digging, expect some burn like you got, you know, from your exercise. Um, uh, uh, come study with us at Purpose Guides Institute. Um, so, you know, if you hear that calling, be faithful. 
a fidelity to the truth, a fidelity to the calling. And uh, it's inevitable. You're flowering at a soul and purpose level is inevitable if you are faithful. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I like, I like the way you put that too. It, it's inevitable. If you know, if you do the work, it will be inevitable and it's a beautiful experience and it's your life. You're the only one who can try. You're the only one, you know, if you feel uninspired, if you feel super aligned, this, you know, this, you're, you're probably on the other side be like, yes, it's worth it. And if you don't feel too, you know, aligned right now, you know, these are the things that you can do to kind of, um, you know, move in a direction that's going to fulfill you, that you're going to just understand yourself better, your life better, and make it meaningful on your own terms. And it's the most important work you could do to um, give your existence the best shot you can. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your, your wisdom and uh, your work in your institute. Where can people find more information on you and your work if they want to dive deeper? Sure, sure. Before that, I just want to double down on what you said is that um, this work isn't an act of selfishness for our own joy alone. It is really your best shot at being a demonstration of love, of being uh, an activist in the broad sense of the term, right? Living purposefully is a, an act of love, an act of activism. So that's the beautiful thing about this. We need more people to wake up to their soul level purpose because humans who are living on the default purpose program are messing things up. And there's part of us that does that. I'm not saying it's them over there, right? But to the extent that I am awake to my purpose, I mess things up less. So uh, yeah, if people are interested in my work, go to purpose guides, that's plural, um, dot org. And we have uh, courses for people who uh, want to go through this 12-module process. We have courses for people who want to learn the guiding skills that I've been doing with people for uh, a long time and some other fun free things. So check it out at purposeguides.org. Amazing, man. Well, I want to triple down on what you said because it's such a great, such a great comment. But in a, in a world where there is so much, you know, seemingly wrong, quote unquote, the best thing that you can do is, is get into that state where you're fulfilled, you have energy, you have joy, and you're showing the example to your friends, to your family, to everyone you encounter by being the best version, the most authentic version. And, and by that, you're helping so many people. You know, they talk about mirror neurons now. And so if everybody in the world were depressed and you were happy, you would be showing that example. If everyone in the world were out of shape and you were just in shape, that would be teaching. And it's the best way to teach, the best way to interact, the best way to inspire is to be that example um and so you know have the courage to do the work so do you want to you want to add anything else i just thought it was such a great ending point that was perfect awesome awesome well thank you thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate you i appreciate your work i invite people to check out your website and your programs uh, i know that they're amazing just from what we've covered here um so much work with people uh in the way that you're able to share everything in such a understandable way with great analogy shows a high level of mastery so thank you for your work um and i appreciate you coming on 
All right, guys, there it is, that amazing episode with Jonathan Gustin. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. There were so many practical insights in that episode. If you enjoyed it, please take screenshots, share it on Instagram, tag me at Matt Belair, tag Jonathan and the Purpose Guides Institute, share on Facebook, let your friends know where you're listening, um, and help us spread the vibe. It helps. It goes a long way. You could also leave a review on iTunes. Those are so, so helpful for the algorithms and to spread the word. Um, and also Patreon. Thank you so, so much to my patrons. Like I said, I hit 100. I'm so, so grateful. And you guys have literally saved my butt more than you know. So thank you so very much for all the support. If you guys are interested in coaching, you want to level up, you want to dive deeper, you want to explore all the topics that we're talking about in the podcast, but you're ready and willing to put in the work, whether it's for you, your organization, just hit me up, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching or matt at zenathlete.com. Um, there's also some free stuff over there, so make sure you sign up for the email list. And just thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast because we have some tremendous episodes coming down the pipe. Also, we will be visiting London, England soon if everything goes well over the solstice to take some readings at Stonehenge with David Lone Bear Senapass. So if you're over in the UK, hit me up. Let me know if you want to come to our talks. Let me know if you want to meet us at Stonehenge. We would love to meet you in person. So that wraps it up. Um, let's come into a state of peace and coherence wherever you are in the world. Just stop what you're doing. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, empowerment, and contentment, ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.